Welcome to Living Well with Dr. Peg, where psychologist Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark explores a variety of mental health, wellness, and safety topics and shares biblically-based psychological strategies for living well and staying safe. Now, here is your host of Living Well with Dr. Peg, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. Hey, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Living Well with Dr. Peg. It's my mission to share information and inspiration for living well and staying safe every Thursday on KLZ 560 AM and online at drpegradio.com. And we're brought to you by our sponsor, SSI Guardian, the only advanced safety education training program with an accredited CEU. To learn more about SSI Guardian, go to ssiguardian.com. Well, it seems like almost every week there's another tragic mass killing in our country, and the recent rampage shooting in Northern California is just another example. Uh, The assailant killed his wife, he shot two neighbors, and then drove off in a stolen truck, continuing his rampage at random across seven locations, firing at homes and passing motorists, including a mother driving her child to school. And along the way, he ended up at Rancho Tahama School, And officials say the quick actions of school officials who locked down the school prevented what could have been a far greater tragedy and saved many lives. Now, to help us understand this tragic event and the courageous life-saving actions of the educators, parents, and children at Rancho Thomas School, I want to welcome back to the program SSI President, SSI Guardian President, and safety and security expert Michael Yorio. Michael, thanks so much for being back on the program again today. Dr. Peggy, always great to be with you. Thank you for having me back. Yes, thank you. And we're pre-recording our show, and as I often say, between the time we pre-record and the show airs, uh, we don't know what may have also occurred, and it just seems like these tragedies are happening just ever too frequently. They absolutely are, and and hopefully we won't have another new event by the time this show does air. Um, But to your point, these events are happening all too frequently, um, certainly trending in the wrong direction, and that direction is is an increase. Mm -hmm. Well, I gave an overview in in the preview of the show, but can you describe the events in more detail uh, that took place during this um, shooting rampage in Northern California? Sure, absolutely. But you did give a very in-depth overview. The event started at the assailant's home, uh, which quickly moved into his neighborhood um, on his way to the school uh, in a stolen pickup truck. He did shoot at a a person with some children in the car. So this was a very atypical school attack. Um, 95% of school shootings are committed by existing students. So by Largely, these events are an internal threat, so to speak. But in this case, obviously, it was not. Similar to Sandy Hook, where that attacker also was not an existing student. So So very atypical, but the the importance of that, Dr. Peggy, and to all the listeners, is it's, it's very challenging and imperative that schools prepare for a myriad of threats, both of an internal and external nature. Every event is somewhat different and unique, which makes it very hard to guard against. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing this moving from more than one location. That's happened in many recent shootings. Uh, it's happened in campus shootings where uh, even moving from one building to another building, we saw that at Virginia Tech. Uh, we've seen with school shootings that first uh, 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 killing was committed 
perhaps at the person's home or the home of a family member, and then they showed up at the school. So we are seeing that pattern. We may not be able to predict exactly where they're coming from or who they are, but we are seeing that uh, this threat can move from one location to another, aren't we? It's certainly a mobile threat, and it's not uncommon. We see it more in the workplace environment with workplace shootings, that the attack starts at somebody's home, and they either injure or kill a family member or a friend, and then the crime moves to the workplace environment. But now we're also seeing somewhat of a concerning trend where we're seeing the same thing starting to happen in some school shootings. Well, online news reports say the assailant crashed his vehicle through the school gates but was unable to enter classrooms, and he stayed outside of the school for several minutes, firing through windows and walls, and ended up moving his shooting spree elsewhere. Uh, They say the quick actions of the educators saved lives. Um, What did they do, and what difference did that make? Per the reports that I have read, the sheriff's office or the local police department, not sure exactly which one, but I'm fairly certain it was the sheriff's office, they did alert the school Mm. and said, listen, this guy may be heading towards you. So fortunately for the school, they did have some advance notice. Uh, To the school's credit, they did take quick action. They executed their lockdown. What we don't know is... The, we, we do know that the shooter did fire rounds at the school. He shut out windows and, and, and threw some walls and whatnot. But we don't know if he actually tried to breach the front door. Mm. The school absolutely did the right thing in executing their lockdown procedure. But, again, we've we got to be careful that, that we understand the totality of the threat um, what if he had rammed his truck into that front door? What if, if he had tried to shoot the locks off of that front door? And we just don't know that. So I, I, I kind of hate to speculate, but it's important that we don't get a false sense of security, that if you just do this, mm. we'll be safe because, hey, this guy tried to do something at the school. What we don't know is how hard did he really try to breach that door to come through a window. Shooting randomly from a distance uh, is one threat, and it's a very severe, severe threat, but actually trying to physically break down that door, come through a broken window would have been an entirely different situation. But all credit does go to the school. They did what um, they had to do, and they did what they could do to the best of their abilities, which was to lock down in that situation. Right. And certainly we've seen cases where children were shot in the playground or outside of the school. In, in fact, here in Colorado, I think it was a middle school, uh, there, there, there was shooting taking place while children were, you know, down on the ground on the bus, the floor of the bus. And so, again, it, it doesn't always look the same, does it? It's not always someone coming into the school. They could be simply on school property. These attacks never look the same which makes it very, very difficult to plan for, to prepare for, and also to mitigate if the event starts to happen, because they all have unique characteristics. Mm-hmm. Well, um, he, he stayed outside of the school um, for several minutes. Um, what's the typical length of a, an attack like this, an active shooting incident at a school or a workplace or or church, uh, there there is an average that um, that researchers have found, and it's pretty quick, quicker than we might think. It's very quick. Per the latest study by the FBI and some other governmental agencies, eight to twelve minutes is the average length of an active shooting event. Now, keep in mind that's an average. Uh, some of these events happen under five minutes, start to finish. Others will be long gated. Planned Parenthood. Uh, 
in Colorado Springs, for example, lasted several hours. So that event was extremely different Mm -hmm. and certainly went counter to that 8 to 12-minute average. But typically, they're very quick, and that's why it's so important that schools, churches, businesses have an advanced training program that is then practiced, practiced, practiced over and over and over again, because in some of these instances, you literally have seconds to make a critical decision that not only impacts your life, but if we're talking about a school, you're impacting the innocent lives of small children. Mm-hmm. Well, students, parents, teachers who were present at the school, um, you say they did get a heads up from law enforcement It's been reported they rushed into classrooms, locked the doors, sheltered in place under desks in a matter of minutes. Um, Describe a typical lockdown drill. Is is that what they did? Is that pretty typical for a drill? Because evidently they had been drilling and practicing uh, uh, for this type of event. It does appear that they had practiced their lockdown, which I applaud their efforts. But let's talk about some best practices when it comes to a classroom lockdown. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the first thing you want to do is lock the door. The second thing you want to do is drop your lockdown shade. Most schools will have either a piece of glass in that classroom door or perhaps a piece of glass, a side light beside that door. And that's for some reason. That's for child safety. So you, you can't have a student behind closed doors and nobody can see in in the event of some sort of an incident. Now, in an active shooter situation, that glass um, becomes a threat, obviously, if the bad guy can see you through that glass. So dropping your lockdown shade so you're, you're, you're blacking out that, that sight. Turn off the lights. You want to silence your cell phones because the attacker will become the hunter. He may not be able to see you, but then they, they start to listen for sounds. And it's, it's very common in a situation like this. We want communication. You're on lockdown. You want to know what's going on, and you're texting you're texting a parent, you're, you're texting law enforcement, what have you. Uh, maybe somebody's texting you, trying to get a hold of you, unknowingly that you're in lockdown and you're trying to hide out. So, and, that, and that's something that it sounds easy, but because we're used to having our uh, receiving messages on our phone in a panic situation, if you haven't practiced silencing your phone, it's very common that people don't, and it could lead the attacker directly to their position. Yeah. So that's very important. Cannot stress that enough. Obviously, you want to call 911, and then you also want to hide behind large objects. There's no guarantee that that attacker may not breach your classroom door, especially if you don't have an appropriate lock on your door. And I hope that we get to talk about locks, but a latch lock that is on most classroom doors, that is not designed to save lives, and it's easily breached. You also want to stay clear of the door. As we talked about a few weeks ago when I was on your show with Lisa Hamp, the Virginia Tech shooting survivor, at Virginia Tech, the shooter actually was shooting through the classroom door. So you want to stay clear of that door. So those are some best practices that, again, there's kind of a lot to that, and that's the importance of practicing it. So if you ever need to go on a lockdown, it becomes intuitive. Mm-hmm. And you, you mentioned there are a lot of different steps that people may not think about. Lock the door, number one, and, and we will talk about locks. I, that's an important um, topic that I want to spend some time on during this uh, program. But locking the door, uh, and of course we know there are some schools and campuses that don't have locks on the door. And we'll get to that that's in right. a moment. 
uh, pulling down the shade if there's a glass window. We, we're in an environment today where there's so much talk now about sexual harassment and inappropriate interactions uh, between people at work and even even at school, I would imagine. And so a lot of um, offices, classrooms have have glass windows so people can see in and people can see out. Uh, but that makes it easy for the people inside of that classroom to become a target if um, they can see inside. And so you're saying pull down that shade, turn out the lights, uh, silence your cell phones. Michael, I've been in um, church, I've been at the movie theater, I've been in um, auditoriums where there are renowned speakers and people's phones are going off. They fumble in their purse or in their pocket to pull it out and they don't even know how to turn their own phones off. So you bring up a wonderful point that that's something even as simple as how do I silence my cell phone quickly what buttons do I push? Where do I go? That'd be a really important thing to practice. Absolutely. And to, to your point, in a movie theater, it's not a high-stress situation, obviously, and your life is um, typically not at risk. But even there, it, it's difficult to find that button. Uh, we've become embarrassed. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't want to be that person who disrupted your peace. And my phone's going off, and now I start to fumble with it uh, versus maybe I'm at home and there's no pressure and I'm turning it off or silent at my leisure. So mm-hmm. it's very important that we practice these very small things. They seem mundane, but literally they can mean the difference of life or death in that sort of a situation. We have something we practice at SSI Guardian uh, that during meetings, if your cell phone goes off, you owe push-ups. <laughs> <laughs> so implementing things like that, I'm not suggesting uh, uh, teachers have their students do push-ups <laughs> if their phones go off during class. Uh, I'll leave that to them. But the, the point is, truly incorporating that practice into your daily routines. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's great. You know, some consider lockdowns as the gold standard in safety. And you talked about uh, Lisa Hamp, who survived the Virginia Tech shooting. Um, listeners can go to drpegradio.com for the program archives for that program. Um, those students... Um, They looked out the door, they saw the assailant, they ran back in the classroom and realized they didn't have a lock on the door. So they did barricade the door. um, And uh, Lisa gives a very dramatic uh, recount of uh, how they laid on the floor and kind of made a a chain of bodies to have some leverage to push on a heavy podium and keep the door closed. Uh, So SSI Guardian has a unique lockdown system that really has set the new standard in safety. Uh, talk about the quick action lockdown lock and how it compares to other kinds of locks that are out there. And again, the fact that many doors, classroom doors, don't have locks at all. So if I may real quick comment on the gold standard. Mm-hmm. The lockdown can be the gold standard if and only if it follows security best practices. Mm-hmm. So like anything, there is a correct way and an incorrect way of doing things. We also need to understand that depending upon the situation, and we're talking about various scenarios here um, just on this show, lockdown may not be your best available option. So it's really about empowering the teachers and the staff with options. These options have to be practiced because they're going to have to make these split-second Uh, life-impacting decisions, knowing what your options are and selecting that right option. So, for example, in some instances, evacuation is going to be your best option Mm -hmm. if that option does, in fact, present itself. If we go back to Columbine in the library, they did have an option to evacuate. They had ample time to evacuate. 
Wow. But they were never trained. They were never presented that option. They were never trained to do that. Mm-hmm. So the librarian and the students, they did the only thing that they were ever trained to do, which was to duck and cover. But in that scenario, with no locks on the door, or the doors not being locked because there was no training promoting the locking of those library doors, they only did what they were trained to do. And you will find that in any scenario. People revert to their highest level of training, whatever that level might be. Mm-hmm. So you raise a good point. Uh, it may be more accurate to say there's a gold standard standard in locks, but really lockdown is not the ultimate answer. We really have to evaluate the situation and respond and even recognize the situation may change quickly and evolve. And it may, uh, in the beginning, seem like your best option might be to evacuate. But later on, it may, it may be that now you have to lock down or now you have to, to hide uh, and, and uh, take cover. So we're, it's an evolving situation. It, it absolutely. It's a volatile situation. Split-second reactions are required. Uh, making practice absolutely paramount. Mm-hmm. Now, having said that, lockdown in many, many cases will be your best available option because if you do not know for 100% certainty that you do have a clear evacuation route, then you do want to go into lockdown. In many cases, the threat um, is too close to you in order for you to evacuate. Mm-hmm. So again, lockdown absolutely can be a gold standard, but we have to understand it's about options. And it can be a gold standard if and only if it follows best practices. All right. Well, so when, when we can... When we come back, Michael, from the break, I want to hear more about what those best practices are, what the uh, health and safety and fire standards are for locks. I'm talking with SSI Guardian President Michael Yorio. We'll be back. Stay with us. What if a psychologist with years of clinical and teaching experience wrote a book revealing secrets that therapists know but usually don't share? And what if that book provided strategies for experiencing change and transformation? That's exactly what you get with Dr. Pegg's book, Do Something Different for a Change, an insider's guide to what your therapist knows but may not tell you. Approaching 10 years in print, this self-help classic shares insights and strategies to help you overcome the three common barriers to change, heal your emotional pain and emptiness, and strengthen your connection to your true self and and others. In the easy-to-understand, down-to-earth style she's known for, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark clearly communicates fundamental principles related to change and reveals secrets your therapist knows but may not tell you. Read Do Something Different for a Change tonight and have a better tomorrow. Go to drpegradio.com books to purchase your copy today. Are you prepared for a sudden cardiac arrest? Having an AED is simply not enough. School athletic coaches are required to have CPR and AED training, but they can only save a life with properly functioning and maintained equipment. Maintain compliance and reduce your liability with AED program management from SSI Guardian. Buy an AED and receive a two-year management program for free. Call us today at 877-878-5800 or visit us at SSIGuardian.com. Feeling stuck? Ready for something different? If you want change in one or more areas of your life, join psychologist, author, and transformation specialist, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark for a one-day Do Something Different for a Change personal transformation retreat. Experience a time of refreshment, reflection, and focus designed to help you discover where you are, where you want to go 
and what's holding you back. By attending Dr. Pegg's Do Something Different for a Change Personal Transformation Retreat, you'll learn a skill set and develop a mindset that will give you the life-transforming strategies, clarity, and vision you need and want to move forward. Register now for Dr. Pegg's Do Something Different for a Change Personal Transformation Retreat coming to Denver on Saturday, December 30th. Accelerate the change you want. Achieve freedom from what keeps you stuck and gain the confidence you need to reach your personal or career goals. Go to drpegradio.com forward slash retreat to register today. Threats at our schools and workplace continue at an alarming rate and require an innovative approach to overall institutional safety. A 21st century safe school needs the right training, the right equipment, and the correct action plan to achieve a future-ready, safe learning environment. SSI Guardian's comprehensive, evidence-based solutions and Tier 1 Security Consulting is the only active shooter training in America with an accredited CEU. Don't trust your safety to just anyone. SSI Guardian is the only choice. Visit us at SSI guardian.com welcome back and thanks for tuning in to living well with dr peg as we're approaching the end of the new year you may be feeling like you didn't accomplish everything you set out to accomplish this year if you're feeling stuck ready for change and need some help to jumpstart your goals register now for my do something different for a change personal transformation retreat on Saturday, December 30th, 2017 in Denver, Colorado. Space is limited, so go to drpegradio.com slash retreat to register today. And if you missed last week's episode or any episode of Living Well with Dr. Peg, check out my program archives at drpegradio.com. You can hear plenty of programs from my guest, Michael Yorio, president of SSI Guardian. He is a safety and security expert and a regular on this program. And Michael, I'm so grateful to have you back on today. Thanks for having me, Dr. Peggy. Well, let's talk about uh, these locks. And uh, it's really about um, having the training to understand what your options are and when to execute which option and to know that situations evolve quickly and change quickly and we have to be flexible with our response in an emergency. Uh, you know, we were talking about the, the, the lockdown and um, having locks on doors. Some schools and classrooms don't even have locks on doors. Um, we saw that with um, one, uh, a campus shooting at UCLA where they rigged, some engineering students rigged some locks to, to stay safe during a lockdown. Uh, I've attended um, safety trade shows. I know you have too, Michael. Uh, and frequently what comes to mind is uh, MacGyver, if you remember that TV show. Uh, he could make a bomb out of a stick of gum and a paper clip. And that's what some of these locks look like that are on the market. Uh, talk about uh, what features a good lock should have and what's problematic with some of the ones that are out there. And I, I'm sure your listeners uh, understand the difference between MacGyver and a real-world scenario at a school. Um, but there are there are many out there. Generically, we call these things gadgets mm. uh, because they are just that. They, they've been proven to be untested, unlabeled, and unreliable, basically unproven, because they haven't gone through industry testings. Um, so a, a bit more on that. They come in all shapes and sizes. Uh, many are referred to as barricade devices, and these typically are aftermarket products that are fixed to the inside of the door. Um, in many cases, because the school, the school classroom doors do not have locks. Mm. 
So these things, the, the advice I can give to anybody making the, these decisions, if a product does not meet fire code, if it does not meet ADA compliancy codes and requirements, uh, if it is not performing, performance proven, then you most likely want to stay away from these things. There's another set of products out there that sound really, really cool that operate off of batteries. So you, you mm. press a button and every door in the every door in the school will close at once and lock at once. Now that sounds pretty cool and effective. The problem with that is who is pressing that button? <laughs> is it somebody in the superintendent's office, the principal's office? How do you know without exception that there's not a child or a teacher or an employee who is one second away from the door trying to get into that door and they have the ability to go in there. So that, that's a really tough call for me because uh, you just don't have that level of certainty. The other risk with battery-operated mechanisms, and whether it's a remote fob um, or a fixed button on a wall, is batteries, as we all know, and we're getting close to Christmas and a lot of toys require batteries, Batteries are not always included. It's a, it, sometimes it's a misunderstanding that, well, I have this, but I never thought to put the battery. So on your child's toy, um, it's just going to be some delayed fun if you don't have a battery. However, in a security situation, it could mean the, the difference of somebody living or dying. Mm. Batteries require maintenance, as we also all know here, that they require changing. So think about this. It's a school, and worse off, it's an entire district they may have hundreds, bigger districts, thousands of classroom doors, and all the batteries need to be changed out on a particular date. School staff, they're very, very busy. It's not that they don't want to. It's not that they're ignoring the task. Things happen, and it's very easy for, even if it's just one door, that the batteries were not replaced and you needed to use it on that day. Mm. There's a very, very similar but sad example. In 2006, in Miami-Dade Public Schools, a 12-year-old who had suffered from cerebral palsy had an attack, had a seizure. The AED did not work because it was not properly maintained. Mm -hmm. That child lost his life because somebody didn't do their job in properly maintaining that AED piece of equipment. Now, I, I promise you, uh, I'm sure nobody thought about this in the morning, that we're just going to ignore the maintenance but it's easy for things to fall through the crack. Mm. So you, you want to go with things that you're not relying or adding additional inherent risk, and whether that risk has to do with human error, scheduling, or product performance. Just because the battery's brand new, how do we know that it actually works unless you test it? Again, Murphy's Law, things happen on that one day where you absolutely had to have that piece of apparatus work and it didn't somebody lost their life. Mm. So what I recommend is, is we have a product called the QAL, which stands for Quick Action Lockdown. And not because that it's a product that SSI Guardian endorses and provides to, to schools and to customers, because it works. And here's why it works. It's the only deadbolt locking device in America that is code compliant, meaning fire code and ADA code compliant for classroom usage. The only one. Mm. Deadbolt locks are designed to give you maximum locking protection. It's what we use on our front doors of our homes, the front doors of our businesses, mm. schools, etc. They are not easily breached. So it's important that those classrooms have the maximum protection that they can achieve. 
and the QAL does that. Secondarily, this lock was designed specifically for the use of classroom lockdowns. Following Sandy Hook, Department of Homeland Security issued a report called the DHS Primer. And here are a few recommendations from that report. The lock must be able to be engaged or locked from the inside of the classroom. Obviously, the last thing you want to do in the case of an active shooter is be in the hallway with the shooter. Secondly, the lock should be able to be locked by more than one person because if the teacher is the only person with the key or with the ability to lock that door, what if the teacher is not in the room when the incident goes down? What if the teacher panicked and he or she dropped the keys because they're in a state of stress? They don't always have 10-plus seconds to lock that door. What if it was a substitute teacher there that day and they weren't given the key? So I think everybody gets the point here. There's a lot that could go wrong in a high-stress, high-panic situation. So the QAL was designed specifically for that. It engages in less than one second. It's a red button on the inside of the door. You press that button, and automatically you're on lockdown. It's very easy that even a small child can be trained in a non-traumatic fashion to press that button if the lockdown code goes off and the teacher cannot get to the door fast enough or the teacher is not there. So, again, we're back to the training, mm-hmm. training the students. What do you do? If I'm the teacher and I'm not in the room or if it's a large room and I'm on the other side of the room, whoever's closest, all you have to do, walk up, press the button. Yeah, that's easy. Easy for a child, perhaps with um, special needs. For example, uh, next uh, next week I'm um, airing a recorded interview with Michelle Gay, who's the mother of a child who died at Sandy Hook, and her child had autism. And so um, it sounds like the QAL lockdown system is easy enough for a very young elementary school age child when they're trained. Press the red button. Even a child with limited physical uh, mobility can still engage that lock. Absolutely. Yeah, very good. And a common common question we get, Dr. Peggy, if this lock is so easy to lock, what prevents a child either intentionally or unintentionally from locking themselves into the classroom? That's a valid question, and we've thought about this. And all you would need to do in that scenario is have the child press the lever on the inside of the classroom, and the door will automatically disengage and open. Mm. Or if it was done deliberately, anybody with a master key can open that lock from the outside. So be it the superintendent, the principal, the maintenance van, the security guard, whomever, can still enter that room. Mm -hmm. That sounds good. Michael, you said something really important um, about training and training in a non-traumatic way. And so you can simply just instruct uh, students and young children to press the red button uh, when there's a you know, particular signal or scenario that's directed by a school uh, administrator or educator. Now, some schools make their drills very realis- realistic. Uh, they simulate the sounds of gunshots. They use smoke, fake blood. They have armed police officers with weapons drawn, and they burst into the schools. And some say these types of drills are traumatic, and they're terrifying for staff and students alike. Um, And so lockdown drills that are done this way can be controversial. Uh, What are your thoughts about uh, these types of very realistic drills? Are they too scary for school children? My thoughts are very simple and straightforward. There is never a need to scare students or teachers for this sort of training. 
ever. Let's think about fire drills. We don't scare students during mm-hmm. fire drills. Everybody remains calm. They know what to do in the case of a fire drill. And fire drills over decades have been proven effective. I can't tell you the last time there was a death at a school as a result of a fire, mm-hmm. largely to do with fire drills, that people know what to do and they're not panicking. I'm not saying people won't be nervous if there's a real fire at a school, but typically they know what to do and they're going to exit, take their route in a calm, orderly fashion. So when it comes to active shooter and practicing lockdown, there is no need to, to, to scare students. And I know a lot of schools do this. They will bring in local law enforcement and they're going to con- conduct this scenario-based exercise where we have props. I've seen some of these things. They look mm-hmm. like Hollywood. Mm-hmm. We have props and and fake blood and fake rubber bullets rubber bullets and their sirens going off and we're not making a movie here now the reason for this is this is how law enforcement trains and this is how they need to train right because in an active shooter event at a school this is what they're there for is to mitigate and neutralize the threat so they're practicing what they need to do But keep in mind, law enforcement practices and trains very, very differently for this sort of a threat than what a teacher, staff, or student would would need to be trained for. Mm -hmm. Schools need to prepare. They need to focus on preparation, understanding threat indicators, practicing their lockdown drills. So in, in my opinion, my professional opinion, based on security best practices, we're not training law enforcement officers here at schools. We're not training SWAT operators. We're training teachers, staff members who need to incorporate that training with their students. So it needs to be done in a calm, orderly, non-traumatic fashion. And as you know, when we're dealing with young children, especially young children, uh, there are great variances of emotional and and, and mental um, sensitivity with the child. And only the teacher knows that. The teacher knows where they need to, who they need to maybe tweak and soften the message for within their classroom. So the teachers are absolutely the, the best people and the most qualified people to disseminate the information to their students and to really run the lockdown procedures, if you will. Mm-hmm. So just like fire drills, it's very matter-of-fact, very calm. Kids line up, you know, they go to the pre-appointed locations. You're recommending we should do lockdown drills similarly. Absolutely. And there's there's a myriad of examples out there, Dr. Peggy, where schools have tried, in some cases even unannounced, um, scenario-based training that have resulted in lawsuits. Mm. Teachers did not know it was a drill or exercise. All they knew is there was a person there with a weapon um, pointing the weapon at them, holding it maybe at their head or or to their body, telling them that they were going to Mm, die. mm, mm. What would the teacher think? That this is real. I don't know this person. This is crazy. Uh, There was a case in Oregon. I believe it's still ongoing. They may have settled. But the teacher could not return to the classroom more than two years after this incident that I just described because she was so traumatized. Wow. It's as if it were real to her in her mind, and she had the same reaction as if she had gone through it in real life. Absolutely. And then there are other cases where students, they thought it was real. They're texting their parents, mommy, mommy, I'm going to die. There's a guy with a gun. Now, can you imagine being that parent receiving this text from from your little girl or your little son? So, again, unnecessary, unneeded trauma mm-hmm. that you, 
people just need to stay away from. And in the end, it doesn't make the school any safer. That's the true barometer. Right, right. If it doesn't make the school any safer, you don't need to do it. Right. Well, let's talk about kind of a comparison. Um, we have about uh, two minutes left in this segment. Um, before we take our break, but uh, we all fly commercial airlines, and um, I'm sure I'm not the only one who kind of tunes out the flight attendant. Um, We've been on the plane, you know, probably, I know you've been on thousands of flights, Michael, going all over the country (laughs) as president of SSI Guardian, Um, and we just kind of tune it out. Even when we sit in the emergency exit row, we've got to, you know, visibly, verbally acknowledge that we understand, but uh, how many people really study that um, that little, you know, um, laminated sheet. Uh, so w- where's the balance between um, drilling and practicing, which you said is very important, practice, 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 uh, versus traumatizing? Because we don't get on the plane and have a simulation of a plane crash to be able to sit in the emergency exit row. So kind of where's, right. that, where's that middle ground? I think what the airlines does actually makes a lot of sense because you're dealing with people that, in some cases, it's their first flight of their life. Mm. So they don't know. Obviously, you don't have the time to go into an extensive training, um, given the period of time that you have. But again, to your point, I I do fly a lot. People really need to pay attention to those instructions. Mm. It's a quick 45-second, perhaps, overview that's very easy to follow. So in a classroom setting, the teacher, every day, Mm. there should just be a quick refresher okay folks the lockdown drill goes like this who can tell me and you get people to participate you can you make it a learning exercise we press the button we put on the shade okay through time through repetition it becomes intuitive mm. so god forbid if that school ever needs to go on a lockdown again the students will not panic and they will know what to do whether the teacher is in the room or not in the room Okay. Well, I will uh, now make sure I pay attention every time I fly. I I think, you know, that is important. We do minimize. We're just living in a different age. And just as we should be paying attention on the plane, I hope my listeners are paying close attention to Michael Yorio. That's great advice. Uh, It's something we should be reviewing, at least mentally. We'll talk about mental imaging when we return. This is Living Well with Dr. Pegg. Stay with us. We'll be back. Schools are increasingly adopting 21st century learning strategies. However, safety largely remains absent from the conversation, and fragmented efforts continue allowing for security gaps. Studies show effective learning can only exist when students and teachers feel safe. As the industry leader providing innovative educational solutions for more than 58 years, School Specialty has created the 21st Century Safe School, which aligns next-generation learning best practices with proven safety solutions focused on the mental, physical, and emotional well-being being of every student, teacher, and school employee. From early childhood solutions to advanced training for teachers and administrators, the 21st Century Safe School is the most complete and comprehensive approach available to schools and universities. As a parent, you have every right to demand that your child is afforded the safest environment. Take action today by calling us at 877-878-5800 and learn more about this innovative approach at SSIGuardian.com. Do you ever make changes? But after a few days, weeks, or even months, you slip back into old behaviors and patterns. If you want something different, you've got to do something different. Yet most people won't do what's required to experience the lasting change they say they want. Why? Because change is hard, it's scary, and it comes at a cost. 
If you're ready for change, join psychologist, author, and transformation specialist, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark for a one-day do-something-different-for-a-change personal transformation retreat. In this intensive yet intimate retreat, you'll learn fundamental principles and strategies for lasting change and transformation and craft a customized plan that you can put into action right away. Dr. Peg's Do Something Different for a Change personal transformation retreat is coming to Denver on Saturday, December 30th. Go to drpegradio.com forward slash retreat to register today. Hey. All right, welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. My guest today is president of SSI Guardian, Michael Yorio. If you'd like to share this interview with a friend or loved one, and I strongly encourage that you do, go to drpegradio.com to learn more about uh, safety, mental health, wellness, and my Do Something Different for Change personal transformation retreat, as well as to uh, connect with Michael Yorio and SSI Guardian. And Michael, how can people reach out to you directly? Sure, directly. You can visit us at ssiguardian.com. Drop us an email at info at ssiguardian.com or feel free to pick up the phone and call us at 202-676-7166. Excellent. And I have links back to all that information, again, at drpegradio.com. So, Michael, we're talking about uh, how to stay safe. Uh, what we're, we're focusing on schools and school lockdowns because of the, the rampage in Northern California. Uh, but really what you're sharing is relevant and applicable to any environment. I'm thinking about people who might be listening to the show right now in their office and um, realizing there are no appropriate locks on their own office doors. Your QAL system could be used uh, really anywhere, not just schools. Absolutely, Dr. Peggy, and we do have installations um, in non-school environments, and be it a corporate office, uh, be it a, a retail setting where they may have a back room or just one office. So when we talk to, to people, again, whether they're schools or, or churches or organizations, uh, what we talk about a lot is public safety awareness. Mm-hmm. So what we teach in our trainings and the best practices that I'm sharing today and that we share on a daily basis with folks across America you need to follow the best practices, and you as an individual need to take responsibility and accountability for your own safety and well-being before law enforcement or first responders can get there and do their job. They get there as fast as humanly possible without question, but in some cases they just can't get there fast enough. So we all need to take ownership of that and responsibility, especially when you've been put into a position, and whether it's a teacher at a school, a supervisor at work, where you are also responsible for the safety and well-being of other people. Mm-hmm. And so these lessons um, transfer across different environments. Uh, pay attention, situational awareness, uh, being responsible and accountable for your own safety, as you put it. Um, that's so important. Um, Yes, law enforcement is coming, but we already established these uh, incidents can be over in a matter of minutes. And so how can you reduce the chances of being harmed? Uh, so preparation, planning, practicing, that's kind of the, the messages of, um, of uh, what you've been sharing, and we so appreciate it. Now, Michael, and there's something mm-hmm. in the industry, Dr. Peggy, called bad time. Mm-hmm. So bad time is anything that is obviously not good time happening during the incident. So for an example, if it's a school shooting, um, before law enforcement gets there and can take action, 
that is all considered bad time where bad things can happen. Mm. So it's important that we do everything in our power to try to convert as much bad time as possible to good time. Good time would be a lockdown. You're doing something to help mitigate that bad time and put distance between yourself and the threat. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, you uh, mentioned something earlier about internal and external threats. And sometimes in these attacks, the assailant is known to the school or workplace, for example. Um, Columbine, we know those were Columbine students. Other times they're strangers, as we saw with Rancho Tahama and even Sandy Hook. Um, uh, they both tried to shoot their way into the schools at Sandy Hook and Rancho Tahama, breaking doors, windows. Um, in Sandy Hook, he did get in. And again, I have an interview next week with Michelle Gay, who's the mother of a young girl who was killed at Sandy Hook, along with uh, other students and educators. At Rancho Tahama, that assailant was unable to enter, and he left. And so experts say that... Um, these lockdowns um, probably have saved many lives at Rancho Tahama and Sandy Hook. Um, and as you've talked about, uh, staff members, educators were, were empowered to save lives. They sacrificed their lives um, at Sandy Hook to delay the shooter's access to the children. Um, so some assailants are insiders, some are outsiders. Um, talk about what that means and the difference between internal and external threats and what we can do uh, to stay safe. What it means is it, it makes securing a school that much more challenging because you're just not dealing with one particular threat or a nature of the threat, meaning internal. So schools have to prepare, as do organizations and churches, for the internal threats and the external threats. On the internal side, there are things because it's internal and we we know the person, we know the student, uh, things we can look for. Any change in baseline behavior is a sign. Now, I'm not suggesting any change in baseline behavior will lead to a mass shooting, but if we're in a school setting, we absolutely need to take that change in behavior seriously and address it. And it can only properly be addressed if we have clearly established policies and protocols. So we're always treating the behavior. It's not about the person. It's the behavior that we are that, that we are addressing. And we have a well-thought-out plan and strategy how we will address that behavior. If that involves calling the parent, calling law enforcement, calling perhaps an outside mental health expert, whatever the situation calls for. But that can't be done just on a whim. Uh, a lot of thought needs to go into this. Bullying is the number one attributing factor to school shootings. So it's very important that schools take bullying seriously. And when they are informed of of a bullying incident, that they they need to jump on it and they need to address it and do their absolute best to mitigate it and make it go away. Yeah, Michael, if I can interject here, we just had a a 10-year-old girl here locally who um, was being bullied at school, got into a fight. It was videotaped, posted online. She got some uh, bullying that came as a result of the video, and she sadly hung herself in her closet at age 10. And so um, we, we know that uh, suicide and these shootings are, are linked as well. So bullying is not only a factor in uh, some of these school shootings, but we also see how it's correlated with suicide, which is often a um, correlate of these types of, sh- of attacks as well. So just uh, our prayers go out to that family. Absolutely. And, and speaking of suicide, 
um, many misperceive the suicidal threat, that that person is only a threat to him or herself. Um, as we know, in most school shootings, they end in death, typically suicide from their own um, gunshot or, as we call, suicide by cops, taking on an army of police officers who are armed that you know that you're not going to live. Mm-hmm. So suicidal thoughts and concerns need to be taken very, very seriously. Absolutely. So we can't just lock people out of churches and movie theaters and malls. Um, kind of, how do we balance between, um, as it's called, hardening these types of uh, venues uh, and restricting access and locking everything down and surveillance and um, still kind of mitigating our, our risk of violence in these environments? Again, it, it, it's another big challenge. Uh, I've been to U.S. embassies throughout the world and some of the most hardened facilities you will find on the planet. And even those facilities um, are not 100 um, percent foolproof. Mm. So there are certain things when it comes to hardening that make sense. Um, certain things, again, that's where really the situational awareness comes into play. So it's great to have visitor access systems. Um, it's great to have a plan and security upgrades that prevent against certain external threats. Uh, but to your point with the movie theater, what are you going to do? You probably don't know this person. That's when situational awareness really comes into play. If you see a suspicious behavior from an individual, and it's incumbent to report it to the appropriate people on the ground so that they can take a look at it real quick. Um, if we're talking about a school, what I suggest, I'm a big fan of hardening of classroom doors, for example. So if we think back to Virginia Tech, it's like a man's trying to shoot through your classroom door, you're going to have added protection until law enforcement can get there. So- hardening certain interior Interior elements absolutely make sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, some schools have gone to the extreme where they've invested in ballistic and bulletproof glass for all of their exterior windows, uh, which becomes extremely, extremely expensive, as one might imagine, and can have an unintended consequence. That unintended consequence is it, this, when SWAT arrives, you, you take away their ability to um, shoot through the window if need be. You also eliminated uh, first row, first row, first floor, ground level windows can also be exit routes. So you can break the window, break and rake, and escape through the window when there's not necessarily a door. On a ballistic glass, you you take that option away. Mm. So there's different schools of thought on that. Um, If you harden in the right capacity, it makes sense. Um, we have a pro- product that, that's part of our solutions, 3M window film, that buys you time. It's not ballistic. It buys you time. It also retains that ground-level, uh, natural egress route through the first floor window. Mm-hmm. Such good information. So much, so much to learn about and so much uh, to get appropriate, effective training to practice, to, to plan, um, and prepare uh, now, there's some controversy not just about these realistic kind of traumatic lockdown drills, but there are also some programs that recommend uh, we teach students to actually fight back, to, to throw books, 
Um, what are your thoughts about those types of programs? We know there are different options of evacuate, hide out, uh, take cover, um, and certainly, you know, we've heard run, hide, fight. But what, what are your thoughts about teaching young children in schools to fight back? I'm very familiar with these programs, Dr. Peggy. I can tell you they are flawed. They do not follow security industry best practices, and they put students at a greater risk. We know from research there are a number of incidents um, that we don't see in the media, that we don't hear on the local news, where there was an incident at a school or a workplace, and a weapon was involved. But in the final moment, the attacker could not and did not pull the trigger. Make no mistake, it was a bad day for everybody. People are going to require counseling because they've been traumatized. But the most important thing is nobody died. The person couldn't go through with the act. In many cases, it's because the people were trained and they remained calm. They did not further antagonize the shooter. There was a case a few years back in, in Alabama, I believe, where a teacher actually remained calm and actually talked the shooter out of committing the crime. A true hero. She saved many, many lives that day because she remained calm and she was able to reach this person, connect with them, so to speak, and actually talk him out of doing this evil, evil crime. Expecting students to fight and take on an armed assailant with whatever, pencils, cans of beans, tennis balls, whatever the object is, is just a fallacy. It's like poking that proverbial bear. Don't feed the bear. If you poke the bear, he's absolutely going to bite you back. Mm. Same goes for an armed assailant, an armed attacker. Whereas if you remain calm, so you want to practice lockdown, what you want to do is not get face-to-face or in close proximity with that attacker. Now, that's, that's easier said than done, but if you're locking down, hiding, practicing these things, you're going to give yourself a much greater chance of creating that separation. So we do not condone that. It does not follow security industry best practices. Mm-hmm. And so, again, really it is about not just any lock, not just any training, but the right training, the right solutions, and SSI Guardian can provide those. You have um, uh, established and, and um, um, come into agreement with all of the research that tells us in our good common sense that uh, children can't learn if they don't feel safe. Uh, talk about what SSI Guardian has done uh, to help children feel safer at school, the solutions and training that you provide. So in conjunction with our parent company, School Specialty, we've created the 21st Century Safe School. And within that school obviously exists 21st Century Safe Classrooms. So it's really addressing safety and security from the mental, emotional, social, and of course physical perspectives. So having the 21st Century Safe Classroom, which involves the QAL lock, the lockdown shade, and a stop-the-lead crisis response kit inside of that classroom. That's a great place to start. It's a cost-effective package uh, that's easy to understand that, again, upgrades your school security significantly. Having the right furniture in that classroom. So children, especially in that, that junior high, middle school age range that grow at different rates, that everybody is comfortable. 
having the right equipment within that classroom as well. UC, UC Davis did a study a couple years ago, and they drew a direct correlation between school safety and truancy. So we're, we're in environments where students did not feel safe, they were more apt to miss school. If you miss too much school, your grades are going to suffer. And if you miss extreme amounts of school, um, dropout rates go up. And we all know it can be very challenging throughout one's life um, once they drop out of high school. So it has a lifelong impact. And safety meaning whether that's a leaky roof, a broken chair that they fell over. Same with the teacher. If the teacher cannot concentrate on what they are teaching. And, and there's more recent cases. Uh, the most recent one came out of Philadelphia. Teachers are resigning because they are in fear of their safety. They are fearing the students. It happened in Green Bay School District. It's, it's happening throughout the United States. So safety is, is not one particular thing. It's just not about preventing and planning for a school shooting. There are things uh, on a daily basis that impact school safety and security. Wow. Thank you so much, Michael Yorio. Such good information that we all need to be aware of, whether we're parents with children in schools or we're just going about our day-to-day lives. Safety is such an important variable in living well. Michael Yorio, thanks for sharing your expertise and perspectives with us today. Thank you, Dr. Peggy. Have a great and safe day. Thank you. Always a pleasure to have you on. Listeners, don't forget my Do Something Different for Change personal transformation retreat. Go to drpegradio.com. For more information, I'm Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark, reminding you to live well. We hope you've enjoyed this presentation of Living Well with Dr. Peg. For more information or to contact Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark about her mental health or consulting services, please visit her webpage at drpegradio.com.